Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by Kelsey, did you have a question? Yeah, I was just wondering when you think everyone else is going to get here. Everyone else? What? What exactly are you thinking of? Well, the rest of the congregation. Well, wait. You and I are the congregation. We're the congregation. There isn't anybody else here but us. Oh, right. <clears throat> Let me proceed. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Kelsey, did you have something else that's on your mind well, this morning? How do you do it? How do you do this alone? Kelsey, I, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I, I have God. Look around, Kelly. We're alone. <laughs> you and me, we're, we're not alone. God is all I need. Well, God I just, is all I you need. I can't do it. You week can... after week, day after day, I'm on this journey alone. It's too hard. Kelsey, God is with you. He's with you. No, He's I, with need, me. I need my we're okay. small group. It's... I need people. I need help. Help. Kelsey, what you need is to calm down. Calm down? I can't calm down. Where is everyone else? Are we the only ones? Or what we're doing is crazy? You just read that we need to meet together. We are together. No, we're, you don't get we're it. We're here together right now. There. I'm missing the spur, the, the push. I need support. I, I need to know I'm not alone. You're, you're not alone? God is here. What you need is to, you need to pray. You need to listen to God. You need to receive the blessing from him in that way. God is blessing us. He's here with us right now. All by myself? If it has to be, you have to just be all by yourself, and it's going to be okay. I'm sorry. I can't. I need more. All by myself. Let me read the rest of this text, which is important. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we make spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn there if you would. I want you to look at this passage with me. It's an important verse. And it's a verse that we, uh, we normally get one thing out of. And I think today we're going to get at least two, Calvin. Two things are going to come out of this verse today. And I think God is going to bless us as we look at these verses. And bless us hopefully in a way that will, just as the text says, spur us on toward love and good deeds. It's going to encourage us in the Lord. And even more so as we see the day approaching, as we think about what it means for Christ to come and be part of us today. Here's the first thing the text says. It's a simple point. The text says that we're supposed to draw before him with confidence. Now that's interesting because most of the time I think you, I think I, tend to come before the Lord without a lot of confidence. In fact, if I ask most of you how you become, come before the Lord, most of the time I think we come before him confident 
in how sinful we are. Confident about how we don't measure up. Confident about how we're not at all what God wants us to be. And so we do some self-reflection and say, where am I at today, God? How am I doing? What's my relationship with you like? And usually my relationship is not what I want it to be. And so I end up with not a lot of confidence before God. But the text says that we're supposed to draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And so while I'm wallowing in my guilt... I appear to be doing exactly the opposite of what the text tells me that I'm supposed to do in him, and that is come before him with some confidence. Now just think about that, folks. We wallow in our guilt. We don't accept the grace of Christ. We don't acknowledge what it is that Jesus has really done within us because our sin just keeps us there. And so we end up doing exactly the opposite of what God wants us to do in terms of coming before him with confidence. Wouldn't it be great if when we got together on Sunday morning that all of us assembled and said, we are saved, we know the Lord, we're on our way to heaven, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, and therefore we could just rejoice and confidently come before God. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could walk around like that all the time? What if you had the attitude that just said, nothing could possibly hurt me, nothing could possibly be that wrong, because ultimately, I'm the Lord's. I belong to Him. But a lot of times, we're not like that. There's just an awful lot of time when we tend to kind of wallow in our guilt. Are you guys like me? Do you get those emails? The ones that say, you have won in a lottery 15 million pounds. Or do you get those emails that say, this is so-and-so, and my husband was a wealthy banker in, you pick the African country, and when he died, he wanted to give all his money to a Christian charity, but he died before he could give the money, and it now sits in a bank account just waiting for you to come and collect it. All you have to do is send me whatever amount it might be, and then you can claim $15 million. How many of you have ever responded to that particular email and said to yourself, this is the deal I've been waiting for? 15 million pounds, it's now mine. Do you you respond to those? You send back an email and say, yeah, please send me the money. Here's my social insurance number, my bank account number, and my password to my bank account. Hopefully, we have decided that that's not the way to go. And we're, we're now smart enough to not go in that direction. But what if, what if you, what if you believed it? Or maybe I should say, what if you absolutely were convinced that it was true. Would that change your behavior? Would it change your attitude? How would John Gordon be different if he knew, if he really knew, that in Nigeria right now there's 15 million pounds waiting for him in a bank account? All he has to do is send in $25 and give them all his banking information and he can collect it. What if he really knew that? 
I think things would change for John. I think John would buy a new car. I think John would probably quit his job. You, you wouldn't have to fly to Poland anymore. She wouldn't let you go. She wouldn't, she wouldn't allow you to, to uh, collect the money. Yeah. No new car? Okay. So maybe you guys are the one people in the room who wouldn't change at all if you had 15 million pounds more than what you have now. Okay. Things would definitely change for us, I think, for most of us. Well, when the writer says that we can confidently come before the Lord... The implication is, is that there is something there that we absolutely believe is true. I mean, we really believe that it's true. I, I don't mean we just say that it's true. I don't mean that we just say to ourselves, I'm trying to be faithful here. I'm trying to believe this. I mean, with confidence, we come before the Lord knowing that this salvation that he's given to us in Christ is really, 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 really true. Like we really do believe it. How is it, if we really believe it, that our lives are going to change? How will we be different knowing what it is that Christ has done for us? Will we come before God with confidence? Because he wants you to. I don't think God wants groveling. I don't think that God wants his children to come before him with an attitude of groveling any more than I want my own children to come before me with an attitude of groveling. Now sometimes, I must admit, Megan's a little bit too confident. Like those times when she walks up behind me and she pulls my wallet out of the back of my pants and she starts taking money out of it. That happens way too often. That's when I need the 15 million pounds, okay? But it, it would be a tragedy if every time my daughter came before me and wanted to ask for something that she cowered in front of me. It would be a tragedy. Like all of you would wonder how many times a week I beat her if that was the case. And while I recognize the value and the need for us to submit to the Lord of glory and recognize him as God and that he is Lord and that we are not and we need to acknowledge Him as God and come before Him in faithfulness and submission and praise Him, recognizing that He is indeed the Lord. And therefore we come in some sense trembling and with fear before God. At the same time, the biblical writer says, not Kelly, the biblical writer says we can come before Him with confidence. James 4 says the same thing twice, that we can come before God with confidence in light of what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so the first question this morning, the first point is, I just want to ask you this, do you believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you believe it not with just a portion of your heart, but do you believe this with all of your heart? And if you believe it with all of your heart, how does it change your moment-by-moment -moment existence your day-to-day, minute-by-minute existence here in light of the fact that God loves you like that. How does it change you? I just tend to think that if we really knew it, that we would be changed. If we really, really believed it, there would be something that would happen in the hearts of Christians that would be different. We would be changed people.
Now, the second point is one way in which I think that we would be changed. Hebrews 10.25 is a passage that's been quoted by preachers for a long, long time. The first time that the church got together and somebody didn't show up, I'm sure they read Hebrews 10.25. What are you doing forsaking the assembly of the saints? Aren't we supposed to be here? Don't you know that the count goes down when you're not here? And I go to Brandy on Monday morning and I say, how many people were here? What's the card say? And she says, it was this number. And I say, somebody wasn't here. The numbers are down. Preachers have been doing that for a long, long time. And so they preach Hebrews 10.25 that we're not supposed to forsake the assembly of the saints. But of course, there are all kinds of ways, people will say, in which the church assembles, and they're exactly right. We get together in small groups, don't we? Many of us. We meet each other different times during the week and maybe just have a private dinner with someone. And we're fellowshipping in Christ. You might meet somebody for lunch and you're fellowshipping in Christ. And so there's lots of ways in which we get together. And in fact, the claim is often made, isn't it true that we can get by as Christians without having to assemble on Sunday mornings at all? Like where's the law that says that we're supposed to gather together at 10 or 10.45 on Sunday morning? In this case, 10 for a while till September 14th. Where's that law? Where's that rule? Do I have to abide by that? Don't you know that I can worship God in my home by myself? I don't need anybody else there. The freedom in the New Testament and the relationship I have through the Spirit of Christ allows me to just meet on my own. I really don't need all of you people to communicate with God. Well, you know, I think there's some truth to that. No doubt. If I'm on an island by myself and there's no one there to worship with, because I'm by myself, then God and I can still have a splendid time together. No question about it. But this text has got to be saying something. Doesn't it? Like, why was this in here? Why was this written? If it doesn't say something, it must be saying something to those of us who are Christians about meeting together and being here together and what happens when we do. And so I think God wants us to be together. In the early church, they probably met in house churches. They didn't meet in a group of two or three hundred people. The relationships that they built, I think, were intense. I think they were close. Acts 2 indicates they probably were meeting together every day, at least in the beginning, fellowshipping with one another and blessing each other because they needed each other. They were in a hostile culture. The Jews didn't want them meeting in the name of Jesus. They persecuted them for that. And so the church needed each other terribly in order to continue each other's faith and to encourage one another. Well, sometimes I wonder if we don't live in a culture that demands the same thing of us. That because it's a hostile kind of culture, I think I need you even more than what I would have needed you 100 years ago. I think we need each other more than we would have needed each other a hundred years ago. And yet, is this not the case? Doesn't the church meet less now than they used to? Simple question. Isn't that true? We meet less now than we used to. Now, we'd like to think 
that all of us meet together in some other way than on Sunday mornings. That we get together in some kind of care group, small group, some kind of fellowship situation. But the fact is, there are an awful lot of us who don't. And not only do we not do that, the times that we do meet are far less than what we used to do in an earlier day within the church. Well, that's interesting. I don't know all the reasons for that. I don't know if it's because we're too busy. I don't know if it's because we say to ourselves, well, we don't want to be legalistic about this meeting together thing, and therefore we'll just curtail the number of times we meet. We have the freedom, after all, to not meet so many times, so let's not meet as often. We're so busy anyway, let's just not meet as often as we used to. Well, I I get that. But my fear is that in the midst of being free in Christ to not meet as often and not wanting to be legalistic about the number of times we meet so we don't meet on Sunday nights, we don't meet on Wednesday nights like we used to and those were the times when the church met, that in the process we've dropped something from our, not just our routine, but our lives. We have dropped from our lives as much fellowship with the church as what we used to experience. And my fear is that the encouragement and the blessing that we once were to each other doesn't take place the way that it used to take place. Sometimes I'm afraid that we don't know each other as well as we used to. Sometimes I don't know that we are the blessing and encouragement to each other that we used to be. And this is, in fact, so crucial according to what the Hebrew writer says. So crucial that the Hebrew writer says, don't miss out on it. Don't drop it from your schedule because you need it. You know, I remember when when Megan became part of our family. In fact, I mentioned to Robin this morning, I was thinking about my sermon for today as I was walking around the bedroom this morning. I said, do you remember what it was like the very first time that we ever brought her in the house? Robin and I had gone to Zambia We brought her back. We brought her in the house the first time. And Adam and Ryan, who were both just little boys then, are showing her around the house. Boy, I'd love to know what was on her mind. Two years old. Bunch of white people that she doesn't know. She's in a, a totally new environment. Walks in two little kids that are there that she's never met before. And they're trying to show her things like her new bedroom, which, of course, she has no concept of. What must she have been thinking? Well, as time has gone on, the relationship that we have as a family has, of course, developed. And it's absolutely wonderful. You know, I I hear horror stories sometimes about adoptive families. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work the way we want it to work. I must confess that I'm thrilled with the way it's worked in ours. It's absolutely wonderful. And what's really neat about it is this. I need Megan Carter just as much as Megan Carter needs me. And my boys, they need her as a sister as much as she needs them. And so if... If something's going on in Megan's life and Robin and I tell 
the boys over the phone. Of course, one's in Arkansas and one's in Texas. We call them on the phone and say, oh, you know, Meg had a hard week this week. This was going on. You know what happens in, in both cases? You can talk to those two guys and tell them what's going on in Megan's life, and both of them immediately are ticked off. They're mad. And you can get, you know, if, if something is wrong in her life, they get upset about it. And if somebody has mistreated her, I'm glad they're not here. <laughs> then they need to relax, Kelsey. They need to calm down. They get excited. They're very protective of her. And she loves it when they come home. Uh, Adam's coming home in a few days. Ryan's coming home on the 1st of August. It's not unusual for her on a regular basis now to say, when are the boys coming? What day are they getting here? She's anticipating their arrival. Why is that? Like she has no biological connection to anybody within our family. Why is it that she longs to have them come home? Why is it that they're protective of her like that? Why is it that her father can't talk about her without crying? (laughs) It's because we need each other. We need each other so badly. We have to have relationship. And not just casual relationship, but profound relationship. We have to have the kind of profound relationship where we know that somebody loves us and we love them. And we're one together. We share things together. We share life together. We share hurts together. We share those moments where we are saying to one another, I love you with the very fiber of my being. Well, I have no more biological connection with Megan than I do with any of you. And although there are some biological connections in the group... There are an awful lot of you that bear no biological connection to each other at all. And yet, the relationship that we're supposed to have with each other is one that Scripture consistently defines as family. It's a relationship that is even termed things like adoption. And where people are incorporated into the family from outside and they become one. Now I know, I know that those kinds of relationships can be deep and strong and abiding and meaningful and that we need each other in that way. I know that to be true. I experience it every day of my life. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that God would say to the church, and, and by the way, here's a group of people who were thinking about leaving the faith. Here's a group of people who were thinking about going back to Judaism. Here's a group of people who are not living out at all the life together that God wants them to live. It's not surprising to me that in that context that the writer would say, don't give up meeting together. You've got to be together. You must be. Because it's in meeting together, in the fellowship that goes on there, that your lives will connect. And that the needs that you have for one another will be fulfilled. And so when a preacher reads Hebrews 10:25, when somebody quotes it just out of the blue and says, "Don't forget to meet each other, or don't uh, forsake meeting together." Recognize how crucial it is that we not think in, in terms of some legalistic rule. 
the demands that we fellowship together on Sunday mornings. Recognize that there is a call here for us to have the kind of fellowship and for us to encourage one another and bless each other's lives like family would and how badly we need each other to be blessed in the faith and to grow together. You should be here on Sunday mornings. You should. You should be here on Sunday mornings. You should be here on Sunday mornings and you should be part of a group. You should be part of some kind of fellowship group within our church. Some kind of group beyond this group that meets on Sunday mornings. You should meet more often than you do with the saints. With the Christians. But it's not because... I've read Hebrews 10.25 now and it says, don't forsake the assembly of the saints. It's for the principle that stands behind the scripture that says we have the need of fellowshipping together in Christ. And without it, we can't survive. Can you imagine what would have happened if Megan and would have come to Canada with Robin and I and when we got to the airport in Victoria we congratulated her on her flight and sent her on her way at two years old. We brought you to this land of plenty. It's got advantages beyond Zambia like you wouldn't believe. We're so glad we were able to do that. Have a great life. It would have been a total disaster. Would it be any different if we chose to not fellowship with each other in Jesus. Congratulations, you know the Lord. Go on your way. Have a great life in Him. God tells us to fellowship together because for us, it is absolutely crucial. And don't make the mistake, by the way, this morning of thinking that I'm just talking about the need that you have for fellowship, just in case anybody's thinking to themselves, well, you know, I kind of need it, but I kind of don't. There are people here, in fact, I would say everybody here, needs you. What will you do with the responsibility that you have to not receive fellowship, but to give it? Because there are people here that without you are going to be lonely. There are people here that without you, they're going to sit in the pews all by themselves and at their end they're going to say, I need more. And you have the responsibility and the capability of giving to them exactly what they need in the fellowship of the body of Christ. Take your fellowship opportunities seriously. Because you need it, and so do we. Let's pray. Lord, we do need each other so badly. We're your adopted children who come into a family. And we need to experience the profound relationships in the family of Christ 
that will sustain us. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help everyone here to think seriously about what it means to fellowship, to be one in this body. And help us, Father, to enjoy the blessing of knowing we're your children called together so that the confidence we have before you draws us into relationship with you and draws us into relationship with each other in a powerful, magnetic kind of way. Father, help us to embrace others and bring them in that we can, as a body, grow together to be what you want us to be. Thank you for our fellowship time this morning. Thank you for the chance we've had to encourage and bless each other. We pray through Christ. Amen.